made a comment earlier tonight that I guess went out over the air that I'm deeply ashamed of. If I have hurt anyone out there, I can't tell you how much I say. From the bottom of my heart, I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a man of faith. So there's a drive into deep left field by Castellanos, and that will be a home run. So that'll make it a 4-0 ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. I don't know if it's going to be for the Reds. I don't know if it's going to be for my bosses at Remember That Guy, the sports podcast where we mind our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present, and it's not Tom Bredeman there on the mic, it is me, your good friend James, along with my own good buddies. So great to be back with you, James, and as we record here on January 6th, we did have Lin-Manuel Miranda booked tonight, but he had something else come up, he had to make it down to Washington, D.C., so instead, we went to the bullpen and we brought in everybody's favorite special guest, please introduce yourself. That's right. It's me, the very special guest, Xavier. And as much as I love dear Theodosia, you know, I wish Lynn could have been here. But he's a very busy man. And also, that Tom Brenneman bit will never not be incredible. Here's the thing, you know what? I respect the professionalism. Like, look, I don't respect the professionalism of what he said earlier in the evening. But if you're going to have to make an apology for being a piece of shit while you're on the job, you better not stop doing that job. you got to let the folks at home know. But it's a deep drive by Castellanos making it a 4 nothing ball game. Even shitheads can do a good job sometimes. They, shitheads, I would say, more than anyone else, are obligated to do a good job. You're already starting lower than everyone else. Like, you, you gotta make it up to us, man. I need, I need extra work ethic from the shitheads out there. Absolutely valid. It's crazy because, you know, Tom Brenneman called some of the most iconic plays I can ever remember. He called App State upsetting Michigan. He called the Boise State hook and ladder, and it's like, I'd like to have fond memories and not remember his homophobic comments that went out over the air, and, you know, he is a man of faith, though, so <laughs> hopefully, you know, he went to the confession booth, and, you know, everything's okay now. Yeah, he's, he's got some absolution, and, and we can absolve ourselves of his negative memories by focusing on the positive or the negative. I don't know. It's whatever we're feeling right now, because I do want to know, fellas, uh, what's, what's making memories for you right now? So making memories for me is in his first full season as a starting quarterback, Mr. Jalen Hurts, Pro Bowl alternate, will probably end up in the Pro Bowl, because let's be real, people always opt out of that, really has just gotten better every single week and proven how good of not just a quarterback he is, but as a, a person. Obviously, big win in Washington last weekend for the Eagles. End up clinching a playoff spot later that night when the Vikings beat the Packers. But what stood out to me and what I'm going to remember from that game, Jalen Hurts, as he's walking off, I'm sure we've all seen the video by now. Fans are going crazy. He goes to give some uh, high five. And, of course, the railing at FedEx Field in Washington gives way. Fans come falling down onto the field. And Jalen Hurts... First of all, gets out of the way of the falling railing, not in a hurried manner, but just with nothing but swag as he does everything. And then immediately starts helping the people up, taking pictures, taking selfies with the fans who just fell onto the field, making sure that everybody's all right. After the fact, penning a letter to the NFL and to the Washington football team asking what's going to be done about this and how are we going to improve this field and improve safety protocols to make sure that something like this does not happen again. It's just, it's such a joy to root for him. He's such a genuinely great guy. He's still only 23, which blows my mind that he has that level of maturity and he's been playing so well. 
I'm just very excited to see what the rest of the season holds for the Eagles and for Jalen Hurts. And I'm very excited that he is our Eagles quarterback going forward. So Jalen Hurts, thank you for making memories. Jalen Hurts is really good, man. It's, I think one of the most impressive uh, college sporting achievements of recent memory has been the, well, I guess, four-year stretch of Oklahoma quarterback play from Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray to Jalen Hurts. Like, that's nuts. And it's so great that he's he's come through. It's it's so fun to see just like a bunch of guys that are a lot more interesting to watch play football than people like Tom Brady and uh, Ben Roethlisberger, who I'm sorry, in my opinion, are just really boring to watch. Like Ben Roethlisberger moves around a little bit, but people, the quarterbacks just stand in the pocket and throw. Like that's not fun. I'm sorry. Like clearly, that's what a lot of other people like about football. But man, I like seeing dudes move around. I like seeing really fun guys who are just like better athletes than everyone else on the opposing defense, uh, which Jalen Hurts sometimes is. I don't know if he's quite at, at, I'm not trying to Lamar's horn, but Lamar is very frequently the most athletic player on the field. Um, I would even say him, not necessarily always, but he's probably got a bit of a step. I know Diaz is, has started the conversation of Jalen Hurts' first 15 games versus Lamar Jackson's first 15 games, which is fair. Listen, listen. all I want to do is to start a dialogue. I think it's important that we're able to have conversations Absolutely. When we are discussing sports and for the people at home, statistical comparison, total yards of offense through the first 15 starts. Lamar has exactly five more total yards, 41-20 versus 41-15. Hertz has three more touchdowns, 29-26. He has one less turnover, 11-12. I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is the next Lamar Jackson. But what I'm, I am saying is that through 15 games, the statistical profile is uncanny. I would say the leadership qualities, very, very similar between the two of them. Yes. They are both great leaders of men who create a culture within their franchise and their teammates want to play for them and they want to be mm -hmm. led by them. And I just think that's so important. You know, will one day Jalen Hurts be an MVP? I would say probably not. I would say he probably does not have that talent level that Lamar has, but I, all I know. I mean, Donovan is, McNabb never won a league MVP, did he? And he took you all to the Super Bowl. He did. And that's, I mean, that's what I was going to say. This is the first Eagles quarterback that I am genuinely 100% excited all the way in on. I had to convince myself a bit on Carson. Nick Foles just looks so goofy. I mean, look at him. Literally, people make the Napoleon Dynamite comparison all the time. So while I obviously love Nick Foles and he will forever have a place in my heart as the Super Bowl champion and Super Bowl MVP, um, there's just something about Jalen. And you just, anytime you hear him speak, you can't help but, you know, perk up a little bit. And he really just grabs your attention. And I love him. I love Jalen Hurts. And I'm so excited to see what he does for us. If we're talking about mobile dual threat quarterbacks, does anyone know who has the uh, longest uh, QB run for a touchdown this season? I'm guessing it's that, like, really nice, what, 65-yarder that Zach Wilson pulled off? Well, it was 52, but yes. 52? Yes, still yes, pretty Zach, nice. Zach, Wilson, Zach Wilson making the Jaguars look silly is the longest touchdown run by a quarterback in six years since Mark is, is he the new Stormin Mormon? Is is he the new premier Mormon player in the NFL? Because we've had I, I I believe Todd Heap, I believe Dennis Pitta, the Ravens in particular. We've we've had some Mormons. And I know there's another guy that like held the nickname Stormin Mormon, but I think Zach Wilson's probably the premier Mormon. I would say athlete. I'd say he's overtaken Jabari Parker at this point. I would say, so as far as NFL credentials, 
Wilson will get there. I think right now you would still as, as Bryce Harper as I think it is still that, a Mormon. I think Bryce Harper is a Mormon. But what I was gonna say is Taysom Hill, the fellow BYU guy. Oh, that's <laughs> um, fair. Anyone from BYU. Yeah. I'm just like, listen, Taysom is just a meme to me almost. It's it's so funny how like I I he's got to have some dirt on Sean Payton. That's right? here's the thing. Yeah, I just all I want to know, all I care about with the Taysom Hill thing, like I don't need to see anything more. To yeah, sure, he's a fine player. He's not a particularly good quarterback. He's good at a lot of other things, and he can serviceably play quarterback. That's cool. That's a cool player. I need to know though how much Sean Payton believes what he's saying. That's the only thing that matters to me. I have to know how truly convinced Sean Payton is of the greatness of Taysom Hill. I don't think he's that convinced. Who is? Andy Reid. Oh, yeah, of course Andy Reid is. Of course he is. One other comment that I just want to make while we're on the Mormon slash BYU section of this podcast. Do you guys remember when the right before the NCAA tournament, basketball player got kicked off for having sex? Yeah, the BYU. fucking BYU, like, uh, personal conduct code or whatever. Yeah, it was literally just he had extramarital sex. And uh, that was it. And they kicked him off. And that, that ruined Jimmer Fredette's run. Um, his name was Brandon Davies, and he played for the Sixers, I believe, for two seasons during the process. He was ultimately traded to the Brooklyn Nets for Trevor Booker. The fact that I can recall that off the top of my brain with no notes tells you just how disturbing. absolutely disgustingly obsessed I was during the process years, but I wanted to get Brandon Davies in the podcast. And now I, I great guy, great guy, a little too horny. But no, but, okay. He's, he's the guy that got kicked out of BYU for having sex with a girl. That's, that's phenomenal credentials right there. He did. And I, again, we just want to state fully for the record, fully consensual. No, this is a pro about, Brandon Davies podcast. <clears throat> there was no bones about, he was a gentleman. I'm sure he like probably took her to a nice dinner before. Probably a very the, giving lover. Probably. I would say Brandon Davies, just a great guy. A great guy <laughs> who got a little too horny one time. And who among us has not? So Well on, on anyway. that note, Xavier, who's who's making memories for you right now? <laughs> <laughs> so um not nothing to do with horniness, but uh I am going to once again talk about the New York Rangers who uh as of right now, have the second most points in the NHL, only behind the Tampa Bay Lightning, who they did just beat twice this past week. In an insane circumstance of one conference being extremely better than the other, the Rangers are still projected to finish sixth in their own conference, despite being projected to finish seventh overall. Because wow. right now, the Western Conference, only the Vegas Golden Knights... Uh, have have 45 points. In the Eastern Conference, Tampa Bay is 49. The Rangers, Capitals, Panthers, and Maple Leafs have 48. The Hurricanes have 47 with three games in hand. The Pittsburgh Penguins are at 43 with also multiple games in hand, four less than the Golden Knights. There is a good chance that seven teams in the East finish with more points than the highest finishing team in the West, which means that most of those teams will have to play each other. The Rangers could finish with over 100 points, which would be 20-plus more than they were projected to finish, and have to face the Lightning in the first round. This is, this is how Vancouver <clears throat> makes another run. People forget it was not two seasons ago that Vancouver was one game away from the Western Conference Finals. It's, it's Bruce Boudreaux. He's now 7-1, and... One, and 
because of exactly what you're saying, the just absolutely dismal state of the Western Conference, if we make it to the playoffs, slightly better odds than some of those Eastern teams to make it further, just because we won't have to meet the immediate buzzsaw of all of those rivals. And arguably, if you get through the West at that point, you're going to face an Eastern team that's pretty beat up. Are we talking to Vancouver Stanley Cup here? Listen, let's have a conversation. We had a conversation about Jalen Hurts. <laughs> it's time that we have a conversation about the Vancouver Canucks. It, they're 7-1 since Bruce Boudreau took over. Thatcher Demko is standing on his head again, which is the only reason we made it to Game 7 of the, I guess, semis in the West that year. I mean, hey, it's it has shades of the St. Louis Blues. Our, our dumb song thing to, to their Gloria is Bruce, there it is. Bruce Bridger is not a big fan, but the Vancouver fans absolutely are. Bruce, there it is. I'm not going to let myself get too hyped. I'm really glad that, that the shakeup, though, at the top does seem to have made a difference for the players. I'm happy about the future of Vancouver. Is, is whoop, there it is, the goal song? It is being used now. <laughs> it needs to be, because the Flyers did that for a preseason game, and I was like, wow, if they just committed to this, I would become the biggest Flyers fan. I'd go to so many games. They haven't used it since the preseason. You know, I haven't won well, any games. Well, so. hey, Diaz, if you want to jump ship, if the Flyers aren't doing it for you, I know the geographically furthest team from us that you could root for listen, that I chose when I was 12 because I'm a dummy. Listen, I'll have to get a passport. We could make it happen. I think, you know, I think Newcastle, my Premier League team, is the geographically furthest possible because they're in the very northeast of England. So that seems like that would be the yeah. furthest. I think it I, is. it's all pretty relative at that point for us. I'm not sure if you're going sure. across the ocean. Becoming a Premier League fan, period, is is subjecting yourself to that distance. Don't worry. Sure, sure. And then, you know, not choosing one of the big teams and choosing Newcastle because you're, again as You're so brave. As 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 we as we mentioned in the Brandon Davies for Trevor Booker trade discussion, I'm an absolute sicko when it comes to sports. So you have all that oil money now, so you'll be fine. We have a lot of oil money. Hey, shout out Kieran Trippier. It hasn't been announced yet, but it's going to be official tomorrow. Kieran Trippier coming to Newcastle. The, the marquee signing. Was he signed with oil money? Sure. But he's coming to Newcastle, and that's what we care about. And what I care about is, James, we've heard the Rangers for Xavier. We've heard Jalen Hurts for me. Who's making memories for you? I got two real quick hits. First off, first ballot when retired um hall of guy lance stevenson last night 20 straight points for the indiana pacers coming in an absolutely iconic performance one for the ages will absolutely go down as the guy that seductively blew in lebron's ear like that's the first line of his plaque when we when we bring him in Uh, the second the second that he is done uh we got you lance stevenson uh and then the other one uh they're there are shades of gray to the Antonio Brown story. Clearly, football has done a number to, to his mental state, um, and, and we are not here to mock him in the slightest. I do not want this to be taken as mocking. I do, however, want to say that his behavior has led to the following headline, and I don't want to provide any commentary after the headline. This is the memory, and then I'm, I'm just able to move on, but I do want to read you this headline real quick from the Daily Mail. Exclusive. Fired Bucks star Antonio Brown smuggled OnlyFans model, who went viral for licking a toilet seat in 2020, into his hotel for a steamy sex romp and told her to watch, quote, 
what I do tomorrow, end quote, the night before he stormed off the field. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> I love that so much. And oh, Antonio Brown is going to be too good to get into the Hall of Guy, I think, as well as all the horrible things that he's done. We are a pretty... Um, you can debate we have a character whether, clause. We have a character I was going to say, you can, you can debate whether other Hall of Fames have a character clause. Ours certainly does. So Antonio may not have a place there, but definitely making memories. I just got... Uh, there is one other thing that we can add, and that is that that OnlyFans model started a rumor that uh, an online figure, I don't know if we need to say celebrity, but an online figure and Kanye were in a homosexual relationship and that that was the reason for uh, Kanye and Kim getting divorced. This is not true. Uh, I mean, you know what? Honestly, who's to say? I don't know if that's true. It seems to not be true, but that is the other claim to fame of this OnlyFans model mentioned in that Antonio Brown headline. Some people are saying. You know? Some people are saying. <laughs> Some people are saying. We're not saying. Yeah. But we heard... And we're saying that some people are saying. Yes. And and speaking of saying, you were saying about Lance Stevenson. Yes, I just loved. So he capped that 20 points off with a buzzer beater at the end of the first quarter and then just immediately went into just a little salsa dance. His teammates were trying to congratulate him. And he was like, no, no, no. I got to get this dance off first. Who, and who is more confident in themselves? Dion Waiters or Lance Stevenson? Lance Stevenson. Oh, that's tough. I don't know. I think Deion Waiters, because here's what you got to think, dude. Deion Waiters got that North Philly in him. Deion Waiters insisted on, like, team moves. Deion Waiters was so confident in himself, he's like, no, we, I can't even plan this out. Like, Lance Stevenson is confident in himself. He doesn't have this confidence outside of Indiana. I feel like every time he's come back to Indiana, this has happened. Deion Waiters is like, I need a change of scenery. I'm so confident in myself. Like, that's the only reason that I'm not currently the MVP. LeBron came back to Cleveland and Deion Waiters said, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. It's Deion Waiters. So yeah, those, those are our modern memories right now. But the holidays are over. We, it's time for us to turn our attention back to the hall. Our purpose in this world is to make sure that this hall is properly recognized. That is the divine task that we have been assigned with. Assigned, cursed, blessed, any number of, of possible uh, adjectives or verbs can be applied to this, but point of the matter is, this is what we are we are on this world to do, and so we need to get back to filling this hall. And our category this week was selected by the person who made the best advocacy all the way back when we did our last discussion of record scratch moment, guys. The immortal goalie performance of Mike McGee was so properly brought to us by Xavier that, Xavier, I want you to go ahead and introduce what we're doing this week. Thanks, James. Uh, so our category this week is essentially careers outside of the sport that the guy is known for. Second life, it could be pre their career, during their career, on the outside, post-career, as long as it's not about what they did for a main professional sports career. So, you know, my mind jumped to one person immediately. He may be the only person who's ever won ALCS MVP and also been nominated for a Latin Grammy for Best Instrumental Album for Smooth Jazz. Do you remember Bernie Williams? Do I remember Bernie Williams? Williams. Do, yeah. Do I remember Bernie Williams? <laughs> Who are you talking to here? Now, listen, just before you get too into it, I just want to say, for, for the committee's consideration... I think Bernie might be too good to be a guy. I just want to put that thought into the ether. I don't, we don't need to dive into that right now. We don't need to hash that out right now. He's, he is what I'm going to say. 
I don't think you're wrong, because it's Bernie fucking Williams over here. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm willing to hear this guy's case and see if he can, if he can bring me down. Because there is an initial reaction, but I, let me hear about this Latin Grammy. I thought about, I thought about this um, you know, when, when first thinking about Mr. Williams here. But because the focus is not on his baseball career, the rest of his career that I want to talk about is less well-known. And that's where that's where I think that okay. this comes into play. I want to I want to focus on his music career, but first I do want to say that uh, Ernie Williams was also a gold medal track athlete as a youngster. Really, he was 15 years old. He competed in the Central American and Caribbean Championships in 1984, and in the full under 20 division, uh, which was the main division, he won a silver for the 4x100 relay with Puerto Rico. And for the under-17 division, again, as a 15-year-old, he won four gold medals. The 200-meter, 400-meter, 4x100, and 4x400. A lot of the people that he competed against went on to become actual Olympians for Mexico, Jamaica, you know, other, other Caribbean and Latin American and Central American uh, countries. So there, there's an alternative timeline where Bernie Williams is a Olympic track athlete, which... Listen, you know... Jasmine Camacho Quinn just won the the gold at the Olympics in the hurdles. It was the first you know track event gold. Could have been Bernie. Could have been. That's if, true. If, if only Bernie stayed in Puerto Rico and trained trained doing that. But uh, so Bernie Williams grew up in San Juan uh, before moving to Connecticut uh, at the behest of the New York Yankees at the age of sixteen. But before that, he studied at the Free School of Music in San Juan, the Jose F. Vasquez Free School of Music, which is a, a, a performing arts high school where he learned classical guitar. Throughout his life, Bernie has loved music. It started when his father, who was a merchant marine, uh, brought home a guitar from Spain. The young Bernie taught himself to play. And so throughout his baseball career, Bernie thought all about how he wanted to uh, have a second life as a musician. So during his career, uh, mid-career, mid, mid 2003, he releases his first album. It's called The Journey Within. This is a smooth jazz album. It, it gets the number three on the top contemporary jazz charts. Do, it, you, do you happen <clears throat> to have what the top two albums were? Because here's the thing. How many World Series does Bernie Williams have at this point? Uh, at this point, Bernie has four. Dude, in the early 2000s, that is nuts to me that, like, Yankees fans didn't make a point to try and send that album to the top of the charts. You guys are not very loyal to your well, people sometimes. So you, you have kind of jumped the gun here because I want to tell you about how this was marketed. Again, this is, this, this is smooth Latin jazz, so not, you know, a very, like, highly marketed uh, product here. But, uh... His record label wanted to capitalize on the fact that, you know, he was currently a star outfielder for the New York Yankees. So they released it the same weekend as the 2003 MLB All-Star Game. They brought uh, Bernie Williams to Chicago, and they had him essentially perform at a pre-release party at the House of Blues and then open the MLB Gala event the night before the All-Star Game. They tried to tie it to baseball as much as possible, and 
They also had a partnership with Kraft Foods to sponsor a CD night July 18th at Yankee Stadium. And Kraft, Kraft, Foods, also, Foods? Kraft Foods also had a promotion where if you buy any three Kraft Foods products, you get a sampler CD with some of the songs from Ber- from Bernie's new album. Oh my god. I think I think the thing I miss the most about the CD era is sampler CDs and you just you can't get that with they you can't put Spotify in a cereal box. What better to go with breakfast than some Bernie? Breakfast and Bernie. Beautiful. <laughs> is Bernie Williams still like an all-star level athlete at this point? So at this point, Bernie had been an all-star two seasons beforehand. He finished in the top 10 in the MVP voting the season before. He was number 10 in MVP voting in 2002. Okay, because so, I'm trying to think how far advanced they'd have to do it because, man, that could be a pretty risky called shot if it's like late in the career and you're like, yeah, we're going to have Bernie Williams performing during the all-star game and he limps into that break at like 200 with, with six home runs. So this, this was the year that his, his abilities kind of fell off. He still hit. He still hit 263 with an OPS over 100. He wasn't. He was no. But he was by no means bad. But the year before, he hit 333 with a with an on base percentage of over 400, an OPS of 141. So if they had released this the year before, it probably would have been even bigger. I mean, he was still a good player. Like he was. He was not a bad player. Bernie did not stay that long after his you know, skills start to wane. He, he quit. He, he retired at 37. So he's not, you know, really falling off a cliff. Well, plus it was, it was time to turn to the main focus, which was clearly his runaway success in the world of smooth line jazz. Yes. So uh, Bernie did release a second album in 2009 called moving forward, which I did listen to right before this call because it is really good. Hell, and, it's, it's, we're capitalizing on the optimism of the Obama years. Yeah, Bernie Williams, give it to me. So this album has uh, Bruce Springsteen uh, feature on it. It also has oh, yes. one of my favorite Cubano artists, John Cicada. They do a remix of one of my favorite songs of all time, Just Another Day, as a full smooth jazz version and... I, I'm not lying that I've listened to it three times in the past hour and a half because it is really good. And this one gets number two on the top contemporary jazz albums chart. Yes. <laughs> yes. Improvement. That's all you got to see. You just got to do better than you did last time. And uh, there's a good quote from uh, All Music who uh, were, that reviewed this album, giving it four out of five stars. They say, while the four-time World Series champ's glory days are behind him as a ball player, he's moving forward towards a stellar career in music. Damn right he is. It's beautiful. Very, very, very good. Ernie also wrote a book that came out in 2011 called Rhythms of the Game. The link between musical and athletic performance. Yeah, sure. Why not? That sounds great. Here's what I'll say. So I I play a lot of pickup basketball, and that doesn't put me on the same level as Bernie Williams, but it gives me a <laughs> modicum of insight here. Rhythm is absolutely an important part of any athletic endeavor. Like I myself I consider myself about a C plus dancer, but 
when I get in the rhythm, I'm like, oh, let me like act like I'm doing a crossover, a little behind the back. You can get in the rhythm and it feels a lot more natural. It's the same thing on the basketball court. Like get your steps right. You got to be in rhythm. If you're out of rhythm, you're going to miss. So Ernie, I'm, I'm willing to hear this out. I'm very close to buying this book so I can read it. But also real quick, since I, uh, I quickly went past, Moving Forward was the album that was nominated for a Latin Grammy for uh, Best Instrumental Album. The 10th annual Latin Grammy Awards back in 2009. So, okay, we, we've said instrumental here. And I know this sometimes too a little bit, but I got to know, does Bernie have any pipes? I haven't heard him sing. He, he, he sung a couple times for, at, at, at Yankee Stadium. And he, yes, he does. It's not, like, it's not as good as his, his, as his guitar playing, but he, but he does. And um, after, after this, and he thinks about how he can use his music uh, to help other people. Bernie it's nominated to, uh, or appointed as a turnaround arts artist uh, by President Obama's President's Commission on the Arts and Humanities in 2015 as a joint venture between the White House and the U.S. Department of Education. What the uh, turnaround arts program does is they go to essentially un- underfunded schools, inner city schools with low performance and they think, all right, how can we use a good arts program to try to enhance the environment for these students here to help them you know, become better all around people, but also help improve their, their, their school life and, and their, their academic performance. And so uh, Bernie works for the, uh, the Tillsdale School in Bridgeport, Connecticut, as, he, as a turnaround arts artist, helping them through music, which I think is absolutely awesome. You know, since then, he's focused a lot on, work, on working with, uh, with, with children in education. Uh, he's also on the NAM Foundation, which is about celebrating and promoting the intrinsic value of music, of music education. He's still an active, active performer. He has a show, actually, in, I think, two weeks. He's performing in Oakland, California at Yoshi's, Yoshi's Oakland on the 30th of January. I think we've talked a lot about like people that could never move away from the game after they were done. That tends to sometimes just like be fascinating people because that's a weird mentality. But what's also a very fun mentality to talk about is someone who just has a completely different life that has, other than the book, not a whole lot to do with baseball, it sounds like, after that. It's interesting. He's actually talked about that a bit. In an interview, he was asked um, what made him want to pursue uh, music instead of staying in baseball as a coach or a manager. He said that, you know, he thinks he grew a bit disenchanted with, you know, how things ended uh, in baseball. And he knew that at some point he was going to pursue something with music because of he felt so strongly about the influence it had on him. So he said that with the way that his baseball situation ended, it was actually easy to go away from it for a little bit and step back. He said he realized that everything in baseball was already said and done. He wanted to reinvent himself. It was it was pretty easy for him to just completely step away from baseball and and go into uh, go into music. I don't know if you saw it, but he actually performed at the Baseball Hall of Fame last September because remember they had the double induction that uh, back in September since uh, Jeter didn't get a chance to have his induction because of COVID. So Bernie Williams performed at the the induction ceremony in Cooperstown. I love that. I love that. It's, it's, it, 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 it gives it a feeling of coming full circle, which I, just narratively I always love. He's not turning his back on baseball or anything. He's turning a new page while still reading the same book. It's still the book of Bernie Williams, just on a new chapter. 
I don't know, Diaz, I don't want to speak for you. I can definitely consider Bernie Williams for, for nomination. I was ready to, to, to scoff at this. I was ready to say Bernie Williams is too good. But I think that we can, we can acknowledge that Bernie Williams has already distanced himself in his own mind enough. I think we can do him the, the honor of respecting that and distancing him in our own minds for this consideration. I do think that's totally fair. The only thing that I want to throw in is, you know, Bernie can say that he was disenchanted all he want, but I vividly remember that this dude retired in 2006 and then played for Puerto Rico in the 2009 World Baseball Classic. So yes, he did play for Puerto Rico, and he went 0 for 5 with two walks. So he did come back to baseball. And I do remember that he was considering returning to baseball if that went well. But then he went 0 for 5 with two walks, so he didn't. So I just want to say, you know, there's some inconsistencies in Bernie's story. But all that being said... I do defer to the wonderful presentation that Xavier <laughs> And I do believe that we can consider Bernie for the Hall of Guys. So that, that doesn't mean that he has my vote when we get to that part of the, of the podcast, but I will keep an open mind. Now, let's side. also point out, a week now after you were brave enough to say thank you, COVID, you're also saying that we need <laughs> to turn your back on this guy because he donned the puerto rican jersey and stood for the island listen listen i obviously man canto la isla del canto i love everything about puerto rico i'm just saying i'm taking off my uh red white and blue with a star on the one lens glasses i am saying there's some inconsistencies but ernie yo te amo siempre para la isla I'm, listen, I love Bernie, but you got to call a spade a spade. You got to call a guy <laughs> that returned to baseball as a guy that wasn't just 100% ready to walk away and you're tired. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Eso todo lo que yo digo. There's just two more things I really want to quickly say about Bernie. Yeah, um, Both from 2016. Uh, so in 2016, he graduated from the Manhattan School of Music. A, uh, a music conservatory in New York City, uh, where he got his bachelor's in jazz performance. And then also in 2016, he did perform at the White House uh, with students from, from the school that he worked at in, from Bridgeport in front of the president. Um, Pretty rad. And, I'm really glad that I nailed it by saying <clears throat> the optimism of the Obama years early on. I didn't think that was going to be so spot on. Yes. And he's also got a doctor of humane letters from, uh, from SUNY Potsdam, it was Drake School of Music, but, you know, le- less important. I don't think he goes by Dr. Williams. But. <laughs> hey, are you, we, we honor Dr. Tennant. We're very, very clear about our honorifics. And I really appreciate that he's got a bachelor's in jazz performance, because that makes me feel a lot better about my art history degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I just want to, talk, to bring, up, bring up Bernie Williams, because I know Bernie very well. He is my dad's favorite player, and also Puerto Rican icon. But his clean break into something completely different and how much he's excelled at this mu- musical career is something that I wanted to bring up because it's it's so hard for professional athletes to find a second career after you've been doing something for so long. But the fact that there was never a doubt in his mind that he was going to be a musician after after he was done playing that he transitioned so seamlessly to a jazz career, which is 
not a thing a lot of people can make careers in, you know, is something that, you know, I wanted, I wanted to highlight. Plus, you know, I love people who spend a lot of time working towards helping uh, education for uh, children and all schools should have arts and the humanities. It's very important. You too, because you're, you're a good soul. I do also want to point out, you do also like people that work towards several championships for Yankees teams. Let's, let's be honest. That is also true. Listen, dare I say that Bernie Williams, Puerto Rican Dr. Kevin Dyson? <laughs> I'm just saying. I, you're right. I'm sorry. We have not been saying Dr. Bernie Williams. We need to. to I'm going to everyone say doctor once here, and I'll just splice it into every time that we've said it previously. <laughs> do it like the uh, do it like the Uber Eats commercial with uh, Wayne's World. Tonight, I'll be having Dr. Bernie Williams. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I'm willing. To, I'm willing to consider Bernie Williams definitely a guy. And so that's your guy X. Thank you so much. I'm I'm excited for this category. I'm excited to hear Diaz, what you got next to bring to the table. So I have a guy, and this is a guy that did some things. And let me tell you about the things <laughs> yeah? that this guy did. So do you remember that guy? He played football for the Raiders for like a year or two, and then he started getting some gigs and some TV shows. He was in that one boxing movie. There was a bunch of them. I think it was based in Philadelphia, actually. Do you remember the guy? Do either of you remember the guy? Yeah. God, which person in Rocky was on the Raiders? Then he was in Predator. He was in Arrested Development. Wait, was it, was it Carl Weathers? Is it Carl Weathers? Weathers. Carl Weathers? Carl Weathers? Y'all remember that guy? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you remember that guy. I mean, Carl Weathers is an American icon. Listen, I'm just glad you remember that guy because I want to tell you about that guy. Carl Weathers. First of all, I do need to give the brief pretext of what his athletic career is before we dive into certainly on. So, Carl Weathers was a multi-athlete star in high school. First of all, he got an athletic scholarship to a private high school in New Orleans based on his athletic prowess. So, at St. Augustine High School, he competed in the following sports. Football, gymnastics, judo, soccer, wrestling, and yes, precipitating his career as Apollo Creed, boxing. So six different sports that he competed in at his high school. Goes on to become a defensive end playing in college. So he starts at Long Beach City College. Unfortunately, in his first season, uh, there's an accident where you know on the how on the track they'll have those barriers set up to kind of like segment off the lanes for the different people that are mm-hmm. doing the different things. So uh, he trips over that and uh, messes up his ankle. So that doesn't work out. And after that, he says, you know, fuck everything about Long Beach City College. I'm going to transfer to where, where's where's our favorite Ray Guy award winner? San Diego. Oh, uh, Mount Eliza at San Diego State University. And so, too, was Carl Weathers, a San Diego State Aztec. Go Aztecs. Plays defensive end there, earns letters in 68 and 69, nice. And they play in the 1969, nice, Pasadena Bowl, which no longer exists, and it's not the Rose Bowl. It was considered the Junior Rose Bowl. So Carl Weathers doesn't get to play in the main Rose Bowl, but in the opening act, if you will, Carl Weathers gets to see the field. He went 11 and 0. They finished number 18 in the final UPI poll that year, and the coach was Don Coriel, who obviously goes on to come up with the Air Coriel offensive system, which has 
had its ripple effects go throughout the NFL to the, this very day. Some interesting tidbits there. So Carl Weathers doesn't get drafted, goes to the Raiders, plays seven games in 1970, they win the AFC West, and then the next year he plays one game, he gets cut. Football career is not done, though, because he goes up north of the border to play for the BC Lions from 71 to 73. And he plays 18 games there, but he's not just wasting his time just playing football north of the border. There's an offseason, right? And there's things we can be doing in the offseason to improve ourselves, to make ourselves a more well-rounded individual who can perhaps break into different industries. Mm-hmm. So in these offseasons, Paul Weathers goes back to school, goes to San Francisco State University. It's a bachelor's degree in drama in 1974, which of all the things you're going to get a degree in for your second career, drama is a bold choice, let's just say. I know a lot of theater people that love sports because it is a very dramatic thing. Like, I am shocked any time that I'm, like, at a theater where people are working, how into sports some of the people are, because I know that very much there's a stereotype. Sure, and obviously we all love that sports is the only unscripted drama that there is. But still, nonetheless, it was was a decision, and it's the decision that worked out. It's the decision that worked out. It's interesting that Carl Weathers decided he wanted a script. Exactly. Like, it, I, I don't know. I feel like if he wanted to go into acting, he could have just, like, shown up and, like, they would have let him read because he's like, hey, I'm in the NFL. And they'd be like, okay, cool. But he gets the degree and, you know, it just so turns out that it pays off. Um, so let's go through before we get to his big break. He did actually appear in some one-off episodes of some pretty significant TV shows of the 1970s. So he appeared in Good Times in an episode of Good Times. He was an angry husband who suspected his wife of cheating on him. You can't cuckold Carl Weathers. Listen, you're going to have to watch the episode if you want to know how that all ended up. But Good Times, Carl Weathers Good was pitch. in. The episode is called The Nude. So another little, uh, a little interesting thing there. In 1976, he appears in an episode of Starsky and Hutch. He's a loan shark. And there's you know some, a little bit of parallels there with Rocky. You know, he was a loan shark. Azos, the the lone shark in Rocky. And, uh, you know, this leads us up to his big break, which is Rocky. Such a great little tidbit, a little bit of history that as a huge Rocky fan, I adore the series. I've been watching every film since I was a little kid, but I didn't know this until I did research. So first of all, before Carl Weathers even read for the part of Apollo Creed, Sylvester Stallone already had a different person picked out. It was just like, hey, you know, we told these guys that we would have them in. We're going to, you know, we're going to be professional. We're going to let everybody read, but we know who our guy is. And fun fact, Sylvester Stallone doesn't remember that person's name now. Because when he retells the story, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I had a guy and uh, I don't remember his name. Is is that good luck or bad luck? I don't know. So It's not a bad Sylvester Stallone. I've watched a lot of Rocky movies, let me tell you. So... Carl Weathers goes in to read for the part of Apollo Creed, and he can kind of sense halfway through that, you know, it's not going so well. He doesn't feel like he's doing too hot. One of the associate producers was like, hey, Carl, are you having a problem? You know, what's going on? And he says, you know, I just think I'd be doing a better job if you gave me a real actor to work with for somebody to read the Rocky part. And Sylvester Stallone is reading the Rocky part in this read. Carl Weathers has no idea that he's the producer, the director, the, the writer, the everything of the movie. But Carl Weathers just says, yeah, you know, I'd be doing better if I had a, a real actor to work with. 
And this actually won over Sylvester Stallone because he was like, you know, this guy's telling me like it is. And at the end of the day, that sounds like something Apollo would say. Does it not? That's the kind of attitude they needed. Yeah. A little dig. So, you know, then Carl Weathers gets the part. Goes on to be, I don't know if I would call him the co-lead, but a main part of the supporting cast in, in the first four Rocky films. And, you know, this really is kind of his launching pad into a pretty successful acting career. The next major film that I would say he's in outside of the Rocky series would be co-starring alongside uh, uh, Schwarzenegger. Co-starring alongside, if you're about to say Predator, I just want to point out two different future U.S. governors. And yes, so yes, co-starring alongside Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura from the wrestling background. Again, there's all angle. We got bodybuilding. We got wrestling. We got boxing. All these just buff, badass dudes. We just want some beefcakes in the jungle. Gotta love it. So we can make a meme about a really masculine handshake. Yes. Yes, shout out uh, New York mayor. His finger broken in a handshake by a police officer. Eric Adams did? Yeah, that's Eric Adams said he had a splint at a press conference in between saying inane bullshit about, you know, we have swagger, so that's why we can't get COVID. Sound, that sounds like a mayor of New York City. Anyway, uh, fun, fun little aside about Carl Weathers. He ended up, I believe he was hosting Saturday Night Live, and he had a spoof segment where he announced he was running for president, and he said, you got to vote for me because I was the black guy in Predator. I mean, I think that's a good enough reason. It's a good pitch. Um, it's a pretty good reason, yeah. It's a better so, reason than being the host of The Apprentice. Oh, easily, easily. So we get through the 80s. 80s is his action phase. He's in all these action movies. The 90s, he pivots more to comedy. So a lot of people from our generation, if they didn't get into the Rocky movies, what they'll probably most remember Carl Weathers for is being Chubbs in Happy Gilmore. So, oh my goodness, he is Chubbs in Happy dude, Gilmore. Oh, wow. oh my, this is this is one hundred percent remembering. What a stacked cast! Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And also, I didn't even realize this, but did you realize uh, Chubbs was in Little Nicky too? I don't think I've seen Little Nicky. I think I've like saved myself that punishment personally. It's been quite some time since I have, but it's enough that I completely forgot that until I was doing this research. The Adam Sandler Cinematic Universe. What an incredible extension it is. So then, you know, he goes further on and takes a bit of a break from the from the big screen. Kind of gets reintroduced into the scene, uh, playing himself in Arrested Development. Absolutely hustling Tobias as uh, the acting coach, just stealing his money in plain sight. Which I love. You know, I love somebody that can poke fun at themselves. Another role that... I guarantee neither of you know about, because I didn't know about it either. Did you know that there was a sitcom in 2009 on Fox that was called Brothers? did not. So there's two brothers. One is Daryl Chill Mitchell. The other brother is Michael Strahan. And their father is Carl Weathers. I feel like I do vaguely remember a commercial for this, and it was one that even I at this time was able to say, actually, I can skip that, I think. <laughs> I mean, I so I have not seen any of it. I just saw about it in my research, and I'm going to have to find an episode. That is that probably might... the sitcom with the most, like, 
former NFL players in the starring cast of all time. I would say it's got, I mean, you know, how many others can you even think of, you know? So that's, it's gotta be right up there. And of course, in more recent years has made a resurgence in the popular culture with his role on the Mandalorian, which I have not watched. I do not watch. I'm not a story. Very good. He's very good in it. I I liked him a lot. I, I liked him a lot in that. He also directed one of the episodes. Does he get behind the camera a lot? Uh, I believe it was his first directing gig. That's awesome. Was, was that episode. So, again, as I said, I don't need to get super into it. I'm just not a big Star Wars guy. But I did find in my research that the episode that he directed is one of the most lauded episodes by fans. So, I think that's awesome. And, uh, you know, he was, he was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Guest Actor in that as well. So... All the credit in the world to Carl Weathers. And the last thing that I want to say about Carl is just kind of wrapping up his role with Rocky, which, you know, for me and I think for most people is kind of his most iconic role. So for the Rocky Balboa movie that was made in 2006, this is after the original five movies that are made. Sylvester Stallone went to Mr. T and went to Dolph Lundgren and said, hey, Mr. T, can I use footage of you as Clubber Lane? Off, can I use footage of you as Ivan Drago and Rocky Balboa? And they both agreed. And he made the same ask of Carl Weathers. And Carl Weathers said, well, I want to be in the movie. I'm not going to give any spoilers for anybody that has not watched any of the Rocky movies. But all I'm going to say is there's a reason why this was not possible. So Rocky, excuse me, Sylvester Stallone, that's the name of the real person. Sylvester <laughs> Stallone explains to Carl Weathers why this isn't possible. And Carl says, all right, well, you know, you and I aren't cool and you can't use any of the footage. But thankfully, they resolved their differences, which is what led to the creation of Creed. Probably the second best Rocky movie, if you consider it a Rocky movie. I absolutely consider Creed a Rocky movie. I think it's just, Creed is an amazing interpretation, a modern interpretation. Very good. It's a Philly movie. It's, and here's what I love about it. I, what I loved about Creed, is I felt that it represented North Philly in the same way that the original Rocky represented South Philly. Like, the the, the scene that sticks out to me is they go to, like, the angelic music and is running down the middle of the street. Yeah, the jogging scene. The the, the, the dirt bikes bikes. going up on either side of them. I was like, that is so fucking Philly. Oh, Oh, I loved it so much. I loved it so much. You know, they were able to resolve their differences, were able to use the footage. I, I just think that this is almost perhaps the, the inverse of kind of the case that Xavier made, where, you know, a lot of people may not know about Bernie's musical career. A lot of people might not know that Carl Weathers was in the fucking NFL and was this incredible athlete. So Carl Weathers, formerly of the Oakland Raiders, but most commonly known as Apollo Creed, the... Greatest Muhammad Ali knockoff in film history, I would say. But no, seriously, I I love Rocky. I love Carl Weathers. And um, I'm just glad that I was able to talk about him a little bit here. And Carl Weathers, certified guy, in my opinion. But if if there are no other comments about Carl Weathers. I got a a couple real, real quick things about Carl Weathers. One, one of my favorite roles of his uh, is from one of my favorite television shows, regular show where he plays the god of basketball oh that's pretty good given that he's basketball given that that's not necessarily based on what we've heard what are you (laughs) particularly good at 
Wow. Yeah, that was what I was one of the sports that, that I did not list. I didn't. I didn't uh, hear I, basketball until just now. That's cool. Yeah. So he plays yeah, the god of basketball in, in regular show, uh, and I think it was two episodes: the bank shot episode and the episode where uh, they get super powered, super basketball powers, uh, and go into space and play basketball in space. Um, I want and slam, and welcome to the jam. Also, I just beat a game that Carl Weathers was a major, was a main character in came out in September of last year. The Artful Escape won a bunch of awards. It's an absolutely beautiful uh, side-scrolling music game. And Carl Weathers plays Lightman, who is a guy who travels the galaxy playing space rock. And I'm glad that Carl Weathers has not boxed himself in at any capacity ever, it sounds like. He seems like a very open-to-anything kind of dude. Carl Weathers is on some bullshit right now, and I love it. He's he's been in some really good things recently that I have enjoyed. So that actually, you you saying that he's down for anything jogged my memory. That there was a third Adam Sandler film that Carl Weathers appeared in. He appeared in Eight Crazy Nights as a water bottle. I feel like okay, so here's the here's what the Adam Sandler cinematic universe hinges on. Like clearly the mechanism for all of this is the movie Click. That's that's the secret. That has the trans-dimensional object that allows us to open up the connection between everyone and and then it's a matter of of, you know, finding the multiverse versions of each of the actors that show up in every film because it's the same cast every single time. But that's 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 for another day. I do here's one last thing I'll say. Rocky's clearly a top 10 sports movie. I'm curious, Diaz, how high do you place it? Rocky as a sports movie. As a sports movie. I'm curious. What what would you call its rank? Because I, I would 100% say I it can fit in many buckets, but it is a sports movie. I would consider it a sports movie among other things. Well, I consider it, honestly, above all, as a love story. I, <laughs> <Perfectly fine. laughs> it's, um, I mean, so is, so is basketball, but that's still a sports movie. So is um, Bull Durham, but that's a baseball sure, sure, game. Sure, sure, sure. Sure. So you asked me this question 10 times. I'm going to give you 10 different answers because I just will always go back and forth in no particular order. What I consider the greatest sports movies of all time, Field of Dreams, He Got Game, League of Their Own, Rocky, obviously. I don't know. Would you put The Wrestler in that consideration? So you absolutely call Wrestler a sports movie. I think The Wrestler is really good. Um, Once again, uh, featuring the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Yes. I would also say Friday Night Lights belongs in that same discussion. I would say Slapshot belongs in that same discussion. Definitely um, the best hockey movie. Definitely. What else would I say? I don't know. So I you mean, know, right actually, now, I... wait. Slapshot over Miracle? Do we put Slapshot over Miracle? I think so, but I feel like it's the one that you have to to also consider. Well, I think the fact that like Miracle is a true story is a knock against it as as a film that's fair as a film you know what i mean so i mean so after having said all those i would say for me my favorite sports movie of all time is he got game i would probably put rocky is like no lower than three i would say okay um i'm considering all in my top tier he got game league of their own rocky field of dreams and friday night lights that would probably be my top five I think your your only criminal omission to me, and you can argue whether or not it's a sports movie, but Sandlot's top tier. Sa- Sandlot's S tier. Very fair, very fair. I don't I don't think of Sandlot immediately as a sports movie, but yes, if you if you're really to nail that down, I would I would find the way to sneak Sandlot into that top five. 
anyway, I just want to know what your your personal ranking on that was while we were discussing Carl Weathers. One, one thing, one other thing, real quick that I was just reminded of thinking about actors from Rocky with other who had other careers. Does anyone know what Dolph Lundgren went to school for? No clue. Is he an engineer? Dolph, Dolph Lundgren has a master's degree in chemical engineering. Hell wow. yeah! How how am I right? That's <laughs> a lot of cold shots tonight. I I don't deserve that one bit. Uh, oh, <laughs> cold shot reminds me. Major League is Major also... League's A tier, okay. but still very very high. Just under like League of Their Own and Sandlot, but still very very up there. Yes. Here's here's a hot take. I would put the Major League training montage up against almost any of the Rocky montages, and I'd say it competes. I don't think it's better. I think it competes. It's a very good montage. That's not ridiculous to say at all. I do think it's wrong, but it's not ridiculous to say. Of course. The music is what makes it. And like, I think of the music during the training montage and when they take the field for the game 163 against the Yankees. Oh, that's like, that's why you love sports right there. Whole (laughs) Fucking insane. Even though it's a movie of people that never played real baseball, like I get chills every time I see that. But we've talked enough about movies about fake athletes about people that were just in movies and were fictional characters we want to get back to our home base of terrestrial real real guys real Real flesh and blood guys real guys so i think we have two great candidates so far but james i know you have a great third one and i'd love to try to guess who it is so please please tee it up for us well sure do you diaz you we talked about hockey today do you remember that that defender for the Maple Leafs back in like the 50s and 60s. The 50s and 60s. Yes. Yeah, he was very good. Like one of the best defenders of all time. Played for the Maple Leafs for like eight, almost 18 years. Oh, wait, wait. Do you remember the donut guy? The donut guy. Yeah, the coffee and donut guy. Oh, God damn it. I know who you're talking about. Who am I talking about, X? Who, who is it, Xavier? I think they're talking about Tim Horton. I'm talking about Tim Horton, baby. Oh, my God. No way. I'm talking about <laughs> Tim Horton. And here's here's something I want to start off by saying because again, we're going to coffee and donut place, man. <laughs> no, and that's and that's what we need to talk about. You've you've pointed out <laughs> it. You've made my point because what I said before I mentioned coffee and donuts is all true. Tim Horton is an all-time great hockey player. And here we'll go ahead. We'll give a little bit of background on the sport before we go any further. Tim Horton, he's born in a very small town in Ontario, at Cochrane. It's so small, because right, he's born in 1930, uh, it had burned down three times in the previous 20 years, in 1910, 11, and 1916, and they just kept rebuilding this tiny little town in Ontario. And like many Ontario youth who, who play on the ponds and, and dream of uh, donning an NHL sweater someday, uh, when he is 18, he is signed by the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. He does for the first couple of years split between the AHL, which at the time for them was the Pittsburgh Americans. The Pittsburgh Americans were the Toronto AHL affiliate. But when he makes the NHL finally and kind of sticks in 1952, he legitimately becomes one of the greatest defenders of all time. These 18 seasons with the Toronto Maple Leafs, three of those are championship winning. This is like a small dynasty in the early 60s. One time during one of those runs. He sets the uh, playoff record at the time for Toronto and the NHL with 16 points, 13 assists, three goals in 12 games. That record has been tied, but it was tied in 13 games. That record has been broken, but it was broken in 17 games. That is still, for a defender, the most points per game in any playoff run with like that certain minimum threshold. 
this dude was incredible. And he was a, we're going back to beefcakes again. This guy was enormous. <laughs> like I saw some pictures when I was looking him up and there's not great depth of field in old hockey trading cards from like the 1950s, which is most of the pictures you can find of him. Even then, dude's muscles are bulging out of his sweater. He is clearly a massive guy. And so you think, okay, massive defender, total fucking goon, right? I want to say a, a quote that is said later uh, by Clarence Campbell, the president of the NHL at this time. I don't remember a single incident in his, in, in his entire career where he was guilty of intentional violence against another player. He is a total gentle giant. Apparently, when fights break out, his big move was to grab one or two players that were like just on the periphery of the fight. He wouldn't like get into the fight necessarily, but he would just grab two other people and just bear hug them and just not let them do anything. And he was just so strong that he could hold other NHL players just in his arms and, and completely keep them shut. Um, the Lady Bing trophy exists at that point? The Lady, I believe he does actually win one Lady Bing towards the end of his career uh, when he is with other franchises. But here's the thing, his big claim to fame is clearly not his hockey career. So <laughs> I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about like what goes on later in his life because it'll be relevant to his business. But here's the point. This guy is incredible. And the state of the NHL at the time is even someone as good as this on a championship team needs to get a side hustle in the offseason. No one can, can live off an NHL salary at this time. He's got a wife, Lori. Uh, by the end of his career, he'll have four daughters. And so he's selling Cadillacs one day. This is in like 1964. And he runs into a guy named Jim Charade which is a phenomenal name. Uh, unfortunately, Jim Charade cannot necessarily be considered, maybe in the builder's category, but he is not an athlete. Jim Charade was an aspiring jazz drummer. I'm glad that we can come back to, to jazz careers once again. Circle. Yeah, he'd, he'd moved to Toronto to Montreal, uh, from Montreal, to, to try and be a jazz drummer. He was not successful. So he was a salesman at the time for a snack food company, Joseph Lewis Chocolate Cakes, doing this, but he doesn't want to be someone else's salesman. He wants to be his own person. God damn it. And uh, he's like, he's one of those guys like, oh, I got all these ideas for businesses. I got all these ideas to get stuff started up. And he's convinced himself like what I need is a celebrity endorsement. And so one day he goes to buy a Pontiac and who should sell him his Pontiac, but currently one of the greatest players in the NHL, Tim Horton. He's like, Timmy, buddy, let's talk. Let's, let's do some business here. Now, initially, Tim Horton wanted to do burgers, and they opened a, a Tim Horton's flame broil, uh, charbroiled burger stand, and he quickly goes out of business. Not successful. <laughs> Jim Charade's like, Timmy, 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 Timmy. I have no idea what Jim Charade sounded like, but right now, Jim Charade sounds like this. Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. Listen, you know what the people need? Coffee and donuts. People will go nuts for coffee and donuts. There's, there's a market. This is Canada. People love donuts. Well, that's what we got to do. And so Tim Horton takes this guy's advice and Jim Schrade convinces him to open Tim Horton's Coffee and Donut. Coffee is 25 cents. Do you guys want to guess how much a donut is? Five. It's 69 cents. Nice. <laughs> uh, so he's selling coffee for 25 cents, donuts for 69 cents. The two main donuts that they have are apple fritters and Dutchies. You guys ever heard of a Dutchie? Can't say I have. Uh, and we're not talking about, like, a parcel of land that is owned by a duke or duchess. We are talking about a small, square, fried 
fritter but less cinnamony, closer to just like glazed donut dough in a square with raisins in it. And and that's a duchy. And it was the number one seller at Tim Hortons for years and years and years. And it, Tim and, and Jim are doing pretty well early on. They open a couple more businesses with like franchisees who want to use the name. And meanwhile, Tim Hortons still playing hockey uh, when he's not doing this in the summers. And he continues to be a very productive defenseman. Towards the end of his career, starts, starts to have some demons, starts to drink a little bit, which is also part of the reason why he's so willing to lend his name to side hustles. You know, he both has a family and sometimes has a drinking problem. And eventually, he does kind of, like, run out his time in Toronto after 18 seasons. So he's, uh, well, he started in, but he's 40 years old at this point. And when they finally do trade him, they trade him to the New York Rangers. New York Rangers have him for like half a season, finishes that out. And then uh, he gets to make a brief stop back in Pittsburgh, where it all started for him with the Pittsburgh Americans, uh, except it is this time with the very young, like did not exist when he was in Pittsburgh last time, Pittsburgh Penguins. I believe it's their seventh year of existence at that time. And they give him the biggest contract that the franchise has ever given anyone, paying him $100,000 a year. A 42-year-old at this point? Uh, 41, 42, yeah, right around there. Uh, it, you know, is not worth the investment. Uh, he's, he's, uh, even at this point, he's like very good veteran presence. He's, he's good to, to train all the guys. And so there is still one person that's interested in him when he runs his time out of Pittsburgh. And that's a guy by the name of Punch Imlach. Punch Imlach is the GM in Buffalo. He'd also been in the front office in Toronto. And he sees this 42 year old guy nearsighted as hell at this point. His eyes are like totally going and says, you know what? I need that guy to be the veteran presence in my locker room. I remember from back when in Toronto, and to his credit, everyone raves about how absolutely amazing he is while he's in Buffalo in the, the locker room. Like, he totally takes all this this very young team in the early 70s under his wing. This is still a pretty young franchise, and he, he is well-beloved in Buffalo. Meanwhile, things are going on in, in the coffee and donut world. thing is that Jim Charade is a great idea guy. Jim Charade is not necessarily very good at keeping businesses going, and the problem is that the hockey season is longer than the off-season, so more than half of the time, Jim Charade is the person primarily in charge of the Tim Horton Coffee and Donuts brand, which is not going particularly well when it's just him. <laughs> He's not very good at money. And so one day, uh, when he got, you know, Tim Horton's done with the season, it is like 1966, and he comes back and like they've just been hemorrhaging money, and he finds this out and like, oh man. We're in some debt. And Jim Charade personally is in like $60,000 of debt at this point. There was one franchisee who was doing really, really well. And this was a guy by the name of Ron Joyce. Ron Joyce was a former Hamilton police constable. Yes, cops, donuts, coffee. He 100% fits, <laughs> fits the profile. Just like the, the flock of like 20 temple cops that hang out the Dunkin' Donuts on Cecil B. Moore Avenue. That's a deep cut. Anyway, Ron Joyce is integral. If you guys know anything about, like, McDonald's, the guy who makes McDonald's big is not someone with the last name McDonald's. It's not one of the two McDonald brothers. It's a man by the name of Ray Kroc. Ron hmm. Joyce is going to be the Tim Hortons Ray Kroc. He's got three successful franchises already. He's doing better than, like, any other franchisee. And so Tim Horton in this year, 66, when they're just totally bleeding money, brings him in. Jim Charade gets bought out. Basically, Jim Trey doesn't even get money. They just assume a whole lot of his debt. And, and he, we'll get back to Jim Charade because there is some more there. 
but right now it has become Tim Horton and Ron Joyce at the head of this. And again, practically during the NHL season, that means Ron Joyce is in charge of it. And it is growing phenomenally. By the time we get to the 1974 season, in like early February, there are 40 Tim Hortons now starting to expand a little bit out of Ontario. And this is when tragedy strikes. Uh, we do unfortunately have some tragedy. There is a game between the Buffalo Sabres and former team of Tim Horton, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, they play in Toronto, and even though they lose, and at one point Tim Horton has to exit in the third period because of a broken jaw, he is still Ooh. given the third star by the stadium that absolutely loves the 44-year-old, now second oldest player in the league, uh, the oldest player at the time, dude, just one point, I was a 45-year-old named Gump Worsley. Which that, that, is that, absolutely that, a creative player random name from NHL that, uh, 2K20. That's 70s hockey. Yeah, right man. There. He was playing for Minnesota. Uh, the, sorry, I was about to say the Minnesota Wild. He was playing for the Minnesota North Stars. Just we remember where we were at. 20th, February. They have this game, and Tim Horton decides he's going to drive back to Buffalo. Because what he's going to do first is he's going to stop about halfway and meet Ron Joyce at his office in Hamilton, Ontario. He drives there. He's chatting with Ron. They're meeting. He uh, calls his brother on the phone. Ron and his brother can tell that Tim is very drunk. And Tim is talking about driving from Hamilton, Ontario, all the way to Buffalo, which is a good couple hours. They try to talk him out of it. Ron just like, hey, man, stay in the office. We got a couch here. Come on. I don't know why I sound so much like Jim Charade, but there we go. <laughs> um, and uh, they, they don't talk him into it. Couple hours later, about like four in the morning, four thirty, there are a couple reports of a car just careening down at like a hundred miles an hour. And uh, I'm not super into any of that true crime stuff where we get super gruesome about that. So I'll just say there's a car accident and he dies, and it's it's pretty fucking bad. No one else is harmed. It's totally single vehicle. Uh, road was empty, so I mean, if if anything, at least no one else was killed by his very stupid decision to drive drunk. But sadly, Tim Horn is dead, and it is, you know, it sends shockwaves across the NHL. This was a beloved person NHL-wide. Like, yeah, he was beloved in Toronto and Buffalo especially, but no one had anything bad to say about Tim Horton. This was very, very sad. And, of course, this is also a big hit to the Horton family. Like, yeah, they got the, the Tim Hortons, but they don't have their dad. They don't own the primary wage earner. And so Ron Joyce offers to, like, totally take over the company from, from the widow of Tim Horton. And he buys them, gives them a million dollars for their shares, 1970. It's pretty good money. It will seem like a pittance later on. Because once Ron Joyce becomes the sole owner of Tim Hortons, this is why I bring up Tim Horton. Because, again, we've talked about Bernie Williams, who is absolutely a they were very well-known player. We've talked about Carl Weathers, very well-known actor. We've talked about Tim Horton, who, despite being a hockey Hall of Famer, it was named at one point to the top 100 all-time NHL players when they made that list for hockey's like Centennial. All-timer, who 100% is just known as the name of this coffee and donut shop, and that's because of how Ron Joyce is now going to take over Tim Horton's The Proper Noun. It absolutely explodes. So like I said, 40 stores when he dies in 1974. By 1991, 17 years later, we have 460 more stores, or up to about 500. That's when they hit the 500 mark. Do you want to guess how many Tim Hortons there are today as of May 2021? 5,000. Incredibly close. 4,949. They are coming up on the 5,000. I, I am looking forward to when the Tim Hortons brand lets us know about the <laughs> 5,000th store. 
Yeah, there are 4,949. It's in a lot of places. It's there's one. I found that there are some in Maryland uh, because one thing that they do is uh, they are on a lot of Canadian and American uh, military bases, including ones here in the country. So that's uh, been a big Tim Hortons thing. I mean, they're everywhere in Canada. And they weren't necessarily until the 1990s. You know, we have Dunkin' Donuts here. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts is big in, in Philly, obviously in Boston. Down here in Baltimore, it's big. And there were like a couple hundred Dunkin' Donuts stores as recently as the 1990s in Canada. That does not exist anymore. And there's the same issue that some might say there is with Starbucks, where not only are you getting rid of like other coffee chains that existed, like Caribou Coffee, does not anymore, just like a lot of small donut shops uh, and, we and love donut brands. And aggressive monopolies. Yeah. But I mean, Tim Hortons is around. It's a ubiquitous thing. In fact, in Canada, what do you, what do you guys call donut holes? Do you call them donut holes or do you call them munchkins? Aren't they, aren't they Timbits in Canada? That's the thing. Yeah, there are no munchkins in Canada. There are only Timbits. The reason I knew about that was because they teamed up with Justin Bieber recently for Tim Biebs. They made Tim Biebs where Justin Bieber came up with all these flavors for them. The Tim Biebs. Oh my god. Canada's greatest export, Justin Bieber. Um, no, I mean, Tim Hortons might be one of their biggest exports right now. Did you know that Canada is the largest per capita consumer of donuts in the world? I was uh, surprised. That's that was impressive. America. I'm shocked that they can outfat us. us. They, I, it's, I, I mean, maybe it's because they're all playing hockey. They got enough exercise to burn it off. That's the thing. We, we're not burning those calories. We can consume all we want if we go out and burn. But Tim Hortons is huge. And, and something very important to mention, it is not... Tim Hortons with apostrophe anymore. This was very important. Uh, at one point, they had to make that a clarification because, of course, you have to worry about bilingual stuff in Canada. And there are some very strict sign language laws in Quebec. I'm sorry, Quebec. We'll try and be respectful to people who live there. But there are some very like specific rules about how signs have to be translated. And because there is a fundamental difference about what Tim Hortons plural versus Tim Hortons possessive would look like as a translation. They had to company wide, like even the older stores that had just hung on to their apostrophe sign forever. Nope. You cannot find this. If you find those, they're in violation of Tim Hortons rules. It That's is supposed the most to be Canadian thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's That's so Canadian. Well, and, and the, the art historian in me screams out because when, when we now reduce this thing, from no longer being possessive to being plural. We have, we have finally removed the original thing that the name represented, and now it is just the store is a Tim Horton, and the chain is the collection of Tim Hortons, the stores, rather than <laughs> even being related to this, this person anymore. A parliament of Tim Hortons. It's a part. It's, uh, I think it's a pod. It's kind of like Wales. He's large enough, it's got to be kind of like Wales. Again, dude is an absolute superhuman while, he is, while he's kicking. Now... As with Ray Kroc, Ron Joyce, not always everyone's favorite businessman. He does, later on, get sued by the widow, Lori, uh, of Tim Horton. She's like, yo, a million dollars clearly was not enough because of this. And I think there's a fair point to be made that, like, the family, the fact that they sold all of their shares, essentially, for a million, like, it, I, it's kind of nuts that they haven't had some kind of uh, percentage sold out. And there is, like, there was some out-of-court settlement following her losing. But here's the interesting twist. So Ron Joyce is out one night while he's dealing with this lawsuit. He's at a small bar, and he hears a jazz performance at this bar. Do you know who's drumming for that jazz band? Is it Charade? 
It's Jim Charade. Yes. Jim Charade's drumming. He's like, hey, Jim, let me hire you back in the company for a little bit. And then could you also testify against Tim's widow with some documents that I know you have that like basically exonerate me? And I mean, look, to his credit, did the documents that Jim Charade have exonerate Ron Joyce? Yes, he did win that case. That's still, that's not a great look. It's not a great look, particularly because... What a coincidence that was, that he had to be at that bar that night. Just just the thought that Ron Joyce goes through as he increasingly stares at this drum. No way. Jim? Hey, Jim! So, here's the thing. Uh, when it has changed hands a couple times in corporate world, for a while, bought by Wendy's. And when Dave Thomas took over, he did fire Jim Charade. And Jim Charade, shortly after this, has a heart attack and died. Now, here's the thing. A lot of, you, a lot you of can, depth in this, uh, this uh, discussion I, here. There is, but here's the thing that we need to say about Jim Charade. Because I don't... We need to understand that his sympathy does need to come with an asterisk. So Jim Charade is bought out by the company when Dave Thomas fires him. He gets $75,000. And against the wishes of his son, he decides to open a tanning salon business. And then that tanning salon business gets shut down because he's $60,000 in debt to the government, which is less than the amount of money that he got in that buyout. So he could have easily dealt with that debt and still had $15,000 left over from that buyout. So that's also factoring in to the death of Jim Charade, a true character. Ron Joyce. A business mind. uh, A business mind. Definitely a a savant esque (laughs) business mind. Putting the idiot in idiot savant. Uh, I do also want to say one nice thing about, like, the, the Joyce Horton connection. It's not all bad blood. They're, they say that all things have been repaired. And actually, the oldest daughter of Tim Horton, Jerry Lynn, is married to Ron Joyce Jr. They together own several stores in the Hamilton area of the Tim Hortons chain. So it, it's Ron Joyce is not a total shitbag, but he definitely has some some sleazy characteristics. Uh, Jim Schrade definitely deserves some sympathy but is also a goofball who is clearly very bad with money even if he had some good ideas and i mean the tim horton story is is really tragic it's tragic because he made an idiot decision and it's also kind of tragic because after he made that idiot decision his identity was lost a little bit two really nice things that i'll end on that have kind of reclaimed that identity i think and and brought him back to life um for a long time the maple leafs did not retire any numbers and they had like two retired up until very recently they had this just big old night where they basically retired 11 numbers for 17 players, uh, which was important because, for one, it was hard to retire Tim Horton's number seven because then you couldn't retire King Clancy's number seven. King Clancy, another all-time Toronto great. So they basically just retired everybody's numbers and on some of the numbers it's like, and multiple players wore this. So Tim Mark. Horton does finally get his seven retired by the Maple Leafs, yeah. which, because his number two was retired by the Buffalo Sabres, means he's the only player in the NHL to have two different numbers retired by different team, uh, which is a very, very specific thing, but it is a thing that he has. Messier, I think his number is retired by both Rangers and the Oilers, but it's the same number. Exactly. It's the same number for other people. No, he's got two different numbers. And then one really nice thing that I uh, learned is coming up this year, March 13th, 2022, they're going to have a Heritage Classic in Hamilton, Ontario, between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres. Do you know what the name of the outdoor arena in Hamilton, Ontario is? Horton Arena. It is Tim Horton Stadium. And so at Tim Horton Stadium this March, there will be a a lovely 
basically Tim Horton's heritage classic between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres. And so that's that's the story of Tim Horton, who, again, it's it's weird to bring up because we before said, we said when we were talking about the Baseball Hall of Fame, we're talking about Hall of Famers, so we can't possibly be talking about guys. It takes a lot to take a Hall of Fame player and turn him back into a guy. And somehow, Ron Joyce, by God, you did it. Incredible. I never knew until, what, when did you start going? Maybe about 15 minutes ago. Approximately like 20 minutes ago. It's 8.50 p.m. right now. At 8.20 p.m., I had no idea that Tim Horton was a real person and not the mascot of a coffee-slash-donut franchise. That's incredible. It was, it's, uh, if you've ever seen Wayne's World, going back to Wayne's World, uh, they have Stan Makita's donuts there. Stan Makita was a defender for the Blackhawks, sorry, Chicago hockey team, that was playing at the roughly the same time, maybe a little bit later uh, in terms of when their careers overlapped. It was earlier in Makita's, later in, in Horton's. But the whole bit in Wayne's World, why they're at Stan Makita's donuts, is because it's Tim Horton's donuts. Unreal. <laughs> I'm glad I could what unlock that joke for you. What a ride. What a ride. No, no, uh... You know, no, no, no jokes intended as to, you know, the way that Tim Horton ceased. But what a ride. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's Tim Horton. Uh, uh, life lived fully in, in a brief time. And those are our three guys, uh, I, I believe. Gentlemen, it's time uh, once again for us to, to uphold our our eternal duty that we have, as I said, been been extra dimensionally shackled to forever. We got to We got to decide which one of these guys is going into that that hall of guy. I, I got to say. I, I was brought over on Bernie Williams being a guy. That being said, he's still going to, I think, be the, the lesser of these guys to me. His, his, his Carl Weathers guy credentials. Now, here's the... It, Diaz, do you have any more information about his Raiders tenure? I'd let you know, did Carl Weathers ever have a game where he went off? Because if we have a game where, like, if, if we have one shining moment for him, that's big for me. So I guess the statistic logging was, like, just not that big back then because... That he, he had an approximate value of two in 1970. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Something. It, 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 it's more than zero, which is what he had in the one game he played in 1971. <laughs> See, I, I, mean, I think that there is one easy answer here, and I think it has to be Carl Weathers, just because both your guy and mine, James, were very successful in their sport. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can't, one, can't one is a Hall of Famer, one probably should have more recognition based on recognition of other Yankees on that team. That is fair. But, we have inducted several U.S. Olympic gold medalists. So, like, we've, we've made it clear that if the notoriety of the guy isn't necessarily there, there's, there's a point to which that can supersede success. But you are absolutely correct to bring that up, and it does play in Carl Weathers' favor, I think. The only question I had with Carl Weathers was thinking – if we're going if we're going to bring in guys who had a cup of coffee in the league and then had a much more important secondary career would the rock have been a someone that could have been brought up for this the rock could not have been brought up dwayne johnson could have been brought up <laughs> Yeah, I'll just, actually, I think that would be exactly like we would have to completely ignore everything that The Rock ever did. Like The Rock would have to be thrown out, and that would be very specific. If we had brought in Dwayne Johnson, like the years of it would have to be his birth year to whenever he became The Rock, just the gap, and then everything <laughs> after that. The, 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 the true gray area would be when he started 
being credited when it was Dwayne, as Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. The Rock Johnson. Yes. Yeah, that would have been the gray area. Um, we, that would be up for discussion. But I mean, even he's not pro wrestling at that point. That's that's the other thing I'd say is like he did then go on to have a pro sports career. Pro wrestling is a, is treated as a professional sport. And, like, look, it is what it is. It's an incredibly difficult athletic thing that is put on for entertainment for many people. I'm going to say that's a professional sport. It's a scripted one. It is, for the most part, a scripted one. But, like, come on, that's a professional sport. Fair, fair enough. Here's my hot take. I'm just thinking of the large number of, you know, athletes who had very short professional careers and then went oh. into either... Like some form of entertainment hey, property. I was hey, Joe Biden played freshman football at Delaware. You know. Yeah, I mean, okay. Do mm. we need to set a games minimum? And is eight games enough for Carl Weathers to be a guy? Do we have to set any kind of like minimum benchmarks? It's it was just, it's difficult for me because to me the prompt was just like you're more well known for yeah I, I, life I, beyond I, sports. I, I, no, I totally get that, and that does that you know that does fit the prompt. I'm still leaning towards Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers here. I like Carl Weathers a lot. But I, I thought of this in my mind. I was thinking of guys who had like lengthy careers in one thing, in one thing, and then switched to another. But I do also really like Carl Weathers as an actor. I'm still biased towards giving this to Carl Weathers. What I would say is, if we're keeping with the theme of, I don't know if we want to call it the first season of the podcast or whatever you want to call it, we voted in previous episodes based on how well does this guy meet this prompt. And then we have relitigation when we go back and we say, hey, are these guys? And I feel like in relitigation, Tim Horton absolutely gets through. I think I would even vote for Bernie Williams on relitigation. But I do need to advocate for my guy in this specific instance. If you want somebody who's more well-known for their life beyond sports than for their sporting career, I think Carl Weathers is as good as it gets. Here's my one last philosophical piece that I think needs to be said for Tim Horton. Again, in terms of how we're relating to the prompt. Because certainly if the question is, which guy's name is associated most with something outside of the career, it's, it's Tim Horton by a landslide then. And the, okay, even if you search like Tim Horton hockey, he might not come up before other hockey-related things and the brand <laughs> Tim Hortons. Does it count? if that name has become so much more associated with the thing that it has now become divorced from the guy itself. Because if we're just talking about, like, name recognition not tied to the sport, that, I think, has to be Tim Horton. But you can also make the argument, well, people don't even know who Tim Horton is. <clears throat> Case in point, Justin Diaz. I was taken aback. I was very taken aback. That's definitely an interesting argument with you know, which wh what career takes prevalence when you think about this about this guy which one of these reactions is like the reaction we'd want from someone talking to this um oh carl weathers played a sport or oh tim hortons is a person and and i don't necessarily know the answer again that's why there's three of us discussing but i think like you have to say which one of those reactions is kind of the reaction we're trying to get from this category all right i, I think it's I think the deciding vote is essentially going to be me at this point, and I, I think I have to give it to Carl Weathers. I'm still uh, not entirely unconvinced on Carl Weathers. Just because so much of the success of Tim Hortons, the brand, happened after the death of Tim Horton, the individual, Tim Horton's NHL career wasn't done yet. Tim, Tim Horton was 
you know, as he was 44, he was still kicking. Just played in a game that that night. It'd be different if Tim Horton had retired, was there for 10, 15 years, helping Tim Hortons of the brand become massive and then passed away. But the fact that so much of the Tim Hortons brand growth happened after his death, like it, it's hard for me to think of it as a secondary career, really, divorced from his hockey career. So I think I have to go with Carl Weathers, even if I have hesitancy on the duration of his sports career to begin with. At least Carl Weathers has the separate this was my sports career time, and this is my acting career time. I think I think that's fair. And also, let's not forget, played multiple seasons for the BC Lions. <laughs> it's all about the that's, CFL. That's not. Hey, you know what? If we're gonna be talking the the National Hockey League, that that nation is Canada, so we can't turn away their football either. No, I mean, if if the two of you are gonna vote for Carl Weathers, I have no problem voting along with that. Just to to make it a call of acclamation, I got no problem with Carl Weathers. Congratulations. This is. Probably the highest honor he's ever going to receive because I don't believe he got the Emmy for the Mandalorian, or he did. In which Nominated. case, this is no, he, this, he he didn't. Well, he if he'd won, this would be his second biggest honor. But since he didn't win, I am I am pleased we can give him the <laughs> highest honor he's ever received, which is membership in the Hall of God. Congratulations, Carl Weathers. That's not who I thought we were going to congratulate this <laughs> week. I love the turn that this has taken. Well, hey, folks, thank you for remembering some guys with us. Uh, do you gentlemen have anything you want to you wanna add as we start to make our own memories, a.k.a. exit stage left? It was a tough vote. I just, you know, I just want to throw it to the committee. Can we do co-inductees? Can no, we've got, the, we've got it, man. It's Look, okay. we have a system. Okay. There's relitigation. He's got, he's got relitigation to come around. Like as I said, I'm committed to getting a hockey player. and We don't have a hockey player yet. I was ready to come guns blazing with a hockey player this week, and I'm not going to stop <laughs> until we get a hockey player this time. But At the minimum, that's, that's the process, and there is a process. And you know what, Diaz? Trust the process. <laughs> trust the baby. Trust it. I'm pointing to my tattoo that literally says trust the process for those who are only listening to the podcast, which is all of you, because we appreciate you following our process once again. Uh, I have, as always, been your host, James. And I've been the very special guest host, Xavier. And I'm your co-host, Diaz. And as Lou Gehrig once said, today, I consider myself the luckiest guy on the face of the earth. Until next time. <laughs> 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 <laughs>